Hello, everybody, and welcome to the All Souls Anglican podcast. This year, our theme is uh, Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope, and we're just hearing where different people in our congregation have found hope in this last year. And today, uh, I'm thankful that we have uh, Patrick Egan. Patrick, tell us, um, for those who don't know you, a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So I think I can say we've been here 10 years. Okay. Even though we were living in St. Louis for five of those years. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were plenty of times when either I came back, mm -hmm. my daughters went to Wheaton College, the whole family would come yeah. back. So that I bet there's probably a parishioner or two mm -hmm. that never even knew we were gone. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like the first time you guys were back, it was like, oh yeah, I'm like, Patrick, how's it going? And then the subsequent times it was like, well, yeah, yeah, he's here again. Like we're not, this is no longer a, a welcome to someone who lives far away. This is someone who visits frequently enough right. that they're just regular. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of reasons why we would come back. Uh, our family is here. I grew mm -hmm. up around here. Um, and, you know, a lot of the journey mm -hmm. in my faith has led me to, you know, this Anglican altar. Yeah. And uh, it's this church has become a place we've really grown up together as a family. So mm -hmm. our girls were going into middle school, high school yeah, when we were right. first here. Now two are graduated from mm -hmm. college. And uh, there's definitely the feeling Kristen and I have is we, we used to look at our parents as the grown-ups. They're the right. ones that will be <laughs> making the decisions. And we look around like, where are the adults that are going <laughs> right. to make these life decisions? And it's us now. So that's been an interesting thing to navigate is now having yeah. grown up children and how that all operates. Right. But, but yeah, we love this church and we've been here uh, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And there are just aspects of it. There's a, a classical element to the mm -hmm. expression of our faith and our music that really aligns with who we are mm -hmm. as musicians as theologians yeah. and biblical scholarship yeah. and all of that but um that's a little bit of our background and uh yeah we love it here yeah so you guys moved back into the area two years ago two yeah two okay. summers ago okay two summers mm -hmm. ago so you were with us right jumping into you've been with us for the whole covid tide you didn't move right yeah in the middle of that um so yeah tell us the, the question of the year, where have you found hope this year? Yeah, that's a great question. When, when we first started talking about the podcast, catechesis, yeah. Yeah. reasons for hope, I think my first response to you was, I'm going to have to get back to you because yeah. I need <laughs> to find hope. <laughs> and what's interesting is, is I said, yeah, let's do this. Um, and as I reflect on mm -hmm. the January through now time frame that we've been doing this yeah one of the things that has given me hope is the catechesis podcast oh, so it's like a it's like a self-referential hope thing it, yeah. we're going meta yeah <laughs> and uh i remember listening to that first one matt milliner mm -hmm. talking about centering prayer and yeah. that's one of those themes that cuts through this whole thing is that centering yeah. prayer meditation mm -hmm. uh covid has caused us to turn inward into our mm -hmm. homes, into our families, into ourselves, and to start with that whole motion of, like, let's turn inward, mm -hmm. centering ourselves, 
not on our anxieties, not on our responses to COVID, mm-hmm. but on, you know, Jesus Christ. And, mm-hmm. and the, the phrase that I've been using is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was mm. Paul's message. Yeah. Uh, or I am crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who right. live, but Christ who lives in mm-hmm. me. And to center yourself on that gives you a sense that my experience here actually is going to help me walk stride for stride mm-hmm. with the sufferings that Christ yeah. uh, took for our salvation. Mm-hmm. And there's that sense of following in his footsteps yeah. uh, that is really important to meditate on. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a practice. Um, I'm sure as many of our fellow All Souls uh, friends have found it's harder yeah. than <laughs> than uh, you might imagine when you try to put it into practice. Yeah, And so there's uh, many times when I've either gone back to Matt Milliner's mm-hmm. podcast <laughs> or, you know, I think uh, Rich Baker and uh, yeah. others have, have pointed to that. And I'm like, oh, I need that boost. Right. I need that boost in motivation. <laughs> I need that reminder of what this is about. Yeah. It's not just about the mechanics of it, but really mm-hmm. what is it about? Um, so, yeah, the podcast, yeah. catechesis, it's been a source of hope. Well, good. I'm, that's encouraging as one who has been having these interviews that mm-hmm. people are, that it, it gave you hope and that I've heard other positive responses. And it's been, for me, that having the conversations has been mm-hmm. a very hopeful thing. Mm-hmm. I like to go in almost, almost with as little preparation as possible because I like to go in and have the conversations and actually get to discover some of this yeah. stuff as we go. Um, so, yeah, it's been a delight for me to be mm-hmm. interviewing on these mm-hmm. things. Um, but that's not what you gave me as your title for hope. Mm. I think you gave, I think the title you had sent me was Bearing One Another's Burdens. Right. Yeah. Um, so how has that been mm-hmm. a, a source of hope for you? Yeah. Well, and this will segue us into mm-hmm. the book I've brought with me. So uh, when we first went into remote learning, mm-hmm. Uh, I had a group of juniors and seniors I was teaching at Clapham. Mm -hmm. And one of the books that came up in our curriculum was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Mm -hmm. And so we're reading this and it just spoke to all of us that this new burden, this COVID tide, as we've called it, um, is a burden to bear and we can bear it with others. Mm And so the bearing of one another's burdens is this heartbeat of Mm -hmm. the experience I've had through COVID. Mm -hmm. And you could even think of it as the heartbeat of so many of the other layers that All Souls has experienced. Yeah. And I look back to um, last summer when Mm -hmm. I did that uh, Bible study through Philippians. And we had... uh, you know, a group of faithful uh, Bible scholars mm-hmm. who would join me on the front lawn, and there were diverse perspectives mm-hmm. uh, in terms of processing um, Father Martin mm-hmm. or processing how we're responding to COVID. Yeah. But there was a genuine commitment by everybody who was there to bear one another's burdens yeah. as we're reading Paul together. We're going to come together in fellowship, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. And Mm -hmm. it was a really rich time 
yeah. a fellowship that I might have been leading it <laughs> nominally, <laughs> right. but uh, I got so much out of that just by meeting with others. Um, and so there's that sense that we need to bear one another's mm-hmm. burdens. And uh, I think there's a theological paradigm that we're working with. Mm-hmm. But in practice, it's hard to do when you're not connecting with each other yeah. physically yeah. In, in this common space. Yeah, I think about um, Mark Clemens's talk on original sin, and he talked about the cynicism that came in after those first few months, because mm-hmm. the first few months of COVID were mm-hmm. like, we're in this together, and eventually just saying it doesn't do any good. Mm-hmm. Um, like just saying, we're going to do this together eventually, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, what what's actually going to happen? What mm-hmm. who, Who's actually going to be doing the work here? What does that actually look like? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm actually reminded there's a in the show arrested development there's an episode where they're at i remember someone's birthday party and someone starts clapping and saying speech and they all start clapping and saying speech but no one's actually going to give the speech they just keep saying it um that's that's almost what the we were all on board with bearing each other's burdens those first few months but then like but how do we actually do that in social isolation what does it actually look like to Mm. to actually get in and care for each other suddenly just saying we're going to do it doesn't actually turn into anything. Mm. Yeah. 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 I don't know if others experience this or not, but watching church remotely um, can actually exacerbate that feeling of loneliness, Mm. isolation. Yeah. Uh, Who else is actually attending church? You know, I might see a number like, ooh, there's 20 other people doing this. (laughs) Is that really only 20? Is that like families? Yeah. Oh, there's some bots in that number <laughs> there as well. Maybe some bots, some <laughs> Russian spies. I don't know. Right. But um, yeah, it exacerbated that sense of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And then when people started coming, you know, you see an individual go up to the rail. And you're like, I know that person. <laughs> there's somebody there. And oh, look at their haircut yeah. or whatnot. And so there was a real joy in seeing that and this desire, oh, I can't wait till I get back. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a variety of reasons why people might not come back Mm -hmm. um, until they get their vaccine or until the weather improves. Right. Um, My wife and I working in other spaces, we really felt like we need to be responsible not to go into a second space to kind of have that cross contamination. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that responsibility taking, but it it can exacerbate that loneliness. Yeah. And so I guess that leads to my first quote here from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book that really ministered to me. And he writes, uh, it is true, of course, that Uh, What is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. I remember the power of reading that with my students where we could only see each other through our computer cameras. Yeah. We couldn't, you know, lean on the doorpost in a mm-hmm. hallway and chit-chat about life. Yeah. And it definitely for those seniors it felt like something was taken away. Yeah. 
And this gave expression to what it was that was taken away. There's a gift of God, a grace that God Mm -hmm. pours out when we can physically be with one another. Yeah, it's it's been interesting over the last year um, because, you know, we we took the first week, we canceled one, maybe two weeks of services before we started doing, Mm -hmm. you know, started streaming the services. And it's so interesting um, as various people have entered the space for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, Even, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about the power of space and place and childhood homes and things like that. You know, it there's the gift of community and sometimes the first step is being able to actually be in the building. And I get to see people sometimes coming in there like, this is the first time I've been in this room for 15 Mm -hmm. months or something like that. And it's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do immediately get used to it. Like Mm -hmm. I get used to seeing people and being able to share in the Eucharist Mm -hmm. week, sometimes twice a week and you just keep doing it and to recognize, yeah, what a thing you don't realize how powerful it is until you don't have it, mm-hmm. until you're suddenly without it and you're without that community. Um, yeah, and, and now we're all feeling that in mm-hmm. various degrees right now. Yeah. There's a muscle memory that we get mm-hmm. in church, particularly a highly liturgical one. You know, the feel of opening your hymnal to the next hymn mm-hmm. and where do you tuck your... Uh, bulletin in to mark your spot yeah. and you know that I where do I set my coffee down so right. that I don't trip over it when I go to, up to get communion and there's all of those little moments that you don't get to experience mm-hmm. when you're not in the space and you don't even think about them but then when they're absent you're like ah there's the feel of the fabrics and the smell of the space mm-hmm. and I uh, recently the camera panned around at the recessional yeah. and I got to see the east wall. Yeah. I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in a while. And yeah. that, it's that that habit, that muscle memory that that starts to minimize the impact of the space mm-hmm. and the presence of others. Um, that I think the absence makes the heart grow fond. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully as we are able to return, people can experience that more and that there will be a sense of renewal mm-hmm. that occurs because you you walk back into the space and I don't know if you can take the breath yet yeah. without masks yeah. <laughs> on, but it's like you take that breath and you're like, yes, I'm back home. Yeah, uh, And I think just like we talked about centering prayer, mm-hmm. it's like centering in that space again, mm-hmm. um, going forward to the altar mm-hmm. and receiving, kneeling down and rubbing shoulders with yeah. somebody next to you like that's part of the physicality of our mm-hmm. worship and um, and I think there's something about that like mm-hmm. the whole concept of bearing one another's burdens it gets expressed mm-hmm. as like take my yoke upon you like, yeah that's a physical metaphor yeah um, and so when we're together shoulder to shoulder and you know, I have a large family and mm-hmm. it's like there's that physicality of where are mm. we going to sit? Can we yeah. fit our whole family in a row here? And uh, and yeah. I, I, I actually long for those moments where we can have that sense of communal space mm-hmm. again. I, two things pop into my mind. One is um, I always think about that, that first one, take my yoke upon you. I, I, I sort of imagine like a single 
ox, but but of course yoke often are several oxen mm-hmm. in the same yoke. So take my yoke as sort of share alongside with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is, is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And even as you talked about like muscle memory of, of being around place, there's a muscle memory or a sort of social muscle memory you get around people. Mm-hmm. I think about um, when you go visit like childhood friends or, or extended family you haven't seen in a certain amount of time and you sort of fall right into old patterns right away, right? Like you might not have seen them in however many years, but when you get together, it's like you were never apart. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something about being in person for informal things, for small things, for like, you know, working on a project together or being alongside each other or all the, there's just an infinite number of tiny interactions that we get when we're all, all together in the nave. Um, and you sort of see people and you notice this and you pick up the bulletin that they dropped or you, you smile at their kid. I mean, all these, mm-hmm. this, this myriad of tiny things that sort of build up a community. Um, whereas, you know, a, a Zoom call, you don't have, you don't, you don't spend time together on a Zoom call. You don't just kind of be together. You, you, it's a conversation that's particular and then it ends, but it sort of has to have a purpose. Mm. Um, and, and life together in small moments, I think, paves the way and, and allows for, um, allows for a deepening of those bonds because you've shared not just a particular conversation, but you've done it with all these nonverbal things, all these things that add mm. up. It's why I think youth, um, or anybody really, but it's, it's youth who go on week-long mission trips typically. By the end of that week, you're, you're sort of terribly emotional about mm-hmm. it. And it's, it's not that you've done anything in particular, although that might be part of it, but it's not mountaintop events. It's just having spent a week in sort of a crucible with these people mm-hmm. that you don't typically spend time with. And you mm-hmm. just build up a whole bunch of little things together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that we're obviously lacking mm-hmm. now. We don't get those moments. We don't get to spend an hour together. We sort of see each other briefly on screen or, mm-hmm. you know, in passing six mm-hmm. feet apart or things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, what a... It's good to, to notice and name those burdens, mm-hmm. to, to identify them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so just to give some background to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I, I'm sure many listeners know his story, um, but as a Lutheran minister who was part of the confessing church during mm-hmm. the Nazi regime, one of the aspects of his biography is even though he was a trained minister, um, one of the things he did was was lead this uh, group of young men. Mm-hmm. And it was more like an informal college-aged youth group of, uh, yeah, young men. And they would, like, go to the seashore. And part of his framework for thinking about life together Mm -hmm. was this experience of some a somewhat communal life that Mm -hmm. they got to share together. As he invested in them, he told jokes, he he wrestled with them. And and there's this uh, great story about this you know, a set of vignettes with these mm-hmm. w- with these young men that stands behind this book. And I, I think it gave him a framework for understanding how the church can do life together mm. based on that. And, you know, I highly recommend this small book. It, 
it's easy to read and and you'll get the cadence of Bonhoeffer pretty easily mm -hmm. but it's organized around community that's the first chapter chapter two the day with others the day alone and you'll find moments when he's talking about uh, going through the book of prayer mm -hmm. or uh, reading scripture as a family mm -hmm. reading scripture on your own meditation the the chapter I want to turn to now is the one called ministry hmm. um, and in this he's not thinking of ordained ministry he's mm -hmm. thinking about the the ministry we all have towards one another yeah and in this book he he'll talk about things the ministry of holding one's own tongue <laughs> that's a ministry of just uh, being silent with others you know there's a there's a way in which uh, not talking can be more powerful than talking mm -hmm. uh, the ministry of meekness the ministry of listening effectively not just listening so that I can I'm hearing but I'm thinking about the ways I'm formulating right. my own response yeah. there's actual genuine listening the ministry of helpfulness and it's this next subheading here, the ministry of bearing, mm -hmm. that I, I'd like to turn to next. And this is probably the real core idea that I thought about when I mm -hmm. mentioned the title yeah. months ago. He writes, the Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. There's a lot packed into that mm -hmm. quote, but it's, um, as he develops this idea, there's this sense of, we need to bear one another's burdens mm -hmm. and, and the recognition, oh, I'm bringing burden into this relationship. Yeah. And I can't just deny the fact that I have my own burdens that I'm kind of putting into this pool as <laughs> everybody mm. else puts yeah. stuff in the pool. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's, if it's me, if it's, if it's universal to humanity, if it's unique mm. to sort of Christians in the, the Western suburbs. But there's, you know, you think about Philippians 2 and you think about bearing one another's burdens and you think, okay, my job is to, is to, deny myself, take mm. up my cross, follow Jesus, mm. think about the other person first. But it's it's almost harder to think like and allow someone else to care for me mm -hmm. and allow someone else to receive my burdens. Um, yeah, that that's a harder thing to do, I mm. think. It gives you the sense that bearing one another's burdens isn't something I wait for until I'm strong enough to bear it. Hmm. or that I've cleared out all burdens I'm going to bring yeah. to the game. It's actually a very humble act. Like, I, I might not know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I might not have the capacity to bear the weight of everybody else's burdens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we're all here in this space together, maybe we've got a hope that all of us could, could do some of the lifting mm -hmm. of everything we're all, yeah. all bearing. And that's uh, a very different way of thinking about it than just waiting until I feel ready because <laughs> yeah. that day might never come <laughs> right <laughs> right and it's so help me think through then that there's two pieces of like sort of 
pastoral advice, if someone was telling me, like, I'm, I need to bear more burdens, I need to step in and do that, I would think about, one of the questions I have is, well, where does Jesus bearing our burdens mm-hmm. fit into this? Is mm-hmm. that just, does Jesus only bear our burdens through the community? Or mm-hmm. is there some sort of other way that mm-hmm. those burdens happen? And also the, the sort of very popular cry of self-care, which mm-hmm. is how do you make sure that bearing others' burdens, you don't mm-hmm. lose yourself in the process. So, I mean, how do you navigate all of those yeah. questions yeah. when we all come together and bear each other's burdens? Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's not a mechanical thing where, yeah. where you would say, well, here's, here's the five steps to get mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it was. Um, you know, as I hear you f- even frame the questions, there's two thoughts that come to mind where we're actually sitting in the sanctuary here and hmm. you know we can see the cross up front and the fact that we as a community do this maneuver where we come forward mm-hmm. approaching the cross to receive communion um, and there's something in that where we we can only bear one another's burdens insufficiently yeah apart from the power of Christ mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think what he's saying the burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. Mm. You know, it's central to our understanding of even what that means, um, that we do so uh, as proxies, I suppose, Mm -hmm. um, and that as as the body Mm -hmm. of Christ. Um, So there is that. Like, um, we... We try to listen to that still small voice. Mm-hmm. We try to receive that invisible hand mm-hmm. from God. And so I do think there's some way in which his grace is poured out through us yeah. in being together. Yeah. We're not neglecting that right. togetherness. Um, so, yeah, some of it is uh, our bearing of the burden with one another it is in some ways that proxy yeah or, or it's empowered by yeah. the cross um and that self-care thing i always thought of the uh well my dad was a firefighter okay right and so you do not go into that building to save others until you can ensure assure your own safety yeah right and and this was an analogy i thought about in terms of like counseling mm-hmm. or or pastoral care yeah of professional care of others yeah like if i've got issues i might not be safe to actually help somebody else right who's who's needing help and so there is that sense of okay before i dive in to help this drowning person mm-hmm. have i tethered myself appropriately right. and done the work i need to do to yeah. not add burden to this situation mm-hmm. by <laughs> by harming others. Yeah. So there is that safety that we need to really be respectful of others. Mm-hmm. But but I don't think that means therefore we should shy away from helping where we can, right? Yeah. I wonder if there's even something that's different between how a community acts and an individual acts. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this a lot as I, um, as I have friends who wrestle with questions of like systemic racism or systemic mm-hmm. injustice or things like that. And there's sometimes the response is like, "Well, mm-hmm. I'm just being told as a white man that I'm always bad and always guilty, and I need to feel mm-hmm. bad." And mm-hmm. I, f- it seems to me like that that's an unhelpful response mm-hmm. to questions mm-hmm. like this. 
but I'm not sure as a culture we've realized how to deal with systemic injustice in systemic ways. We only know personal interactions, so we always like try and make, try and like repent of systemic issues personally when it's a, a different corporate repentance look different and all that stuff. I, and it just makes me think, I wonder if corporate bearing each other's burdens looks a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Like I think about someone who, if you sit down with an individual and say, I'm really wrestling with this problem and, and that there's a different kind of response that an individual can mm -hmm. say and comfort that they can offer. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you, if you are in a group of people and you say, this is what I'm dealing with, mm -hmm. the response on one hand seems like diluted in a group because no one can have that intimate of a conversation. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's something really beautiful about many hands makes the work lighter, right? Mm -hmm. There's something about lots of people being together and getting a sort of smattering of responses mm -hmm. with, in response to your burden. Right. Um, yeah, I just wonder what corporate bearing looks like mm -hmm. in a different way than individual bearing, like mm -hmm. a Stephen minister or a counselor or something yeah. like that. But those are, those mm -hmm. are different kinds of care. Yeah. That's where I think it's so effective to have these small groups, house mm -hmm. groups. Um, you, you know, we have this moment where people can come up to the foot of the cross for prayer. Mm. Um, you know, there's these moments where it's corporate, but it's also small and intimate at mm -hmm. the same time, but not one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Um, and all of those layers are so important to be plugged into yeah. because they minister in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's so hard. Yeah. You know, it's messy. Yeah. Ministry is always going to be messy. Yeah. Um, and it's messy because we're fallen people just mm -hmm. trying to help each other out. Yeah. And, um, and and then in all of that, there can be power plays, mm -hmm. or you know, I'm not getting cared for over here, right? And, um, all of those things. But I think, you know, when you begin with the assumption, you know, we're we're trying our best. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my utmost for for others, and I'm going to trust that they're going to do that for me. Mm -hmm. We can do something for each yeah. other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think about like. Once, once meals were organized for us, when Joy and I were sort of quarantined with, with COVID, there's a way in which, um, I mean, lot, lots of people wanted to help. Mm -hmm. And in small acts, I mean, people just bringing mm -hmm. by a meal, mm -hmm. dropping it off and, and leaving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that was, that was mm -hmm. one act. They poured, mm -hmm. many of them poured a lot of love into the meals mm -hmm. they gave us. But it's, it doesn't have to be a substantive thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, my brain is firing a couple of literary examples. We... Mm -hmm. We tend to think about helping other people totally like Sam at the end mm -hmm. of Lord of the Rings to mm -hmm. Frodo, right? <laughs> like, I can't carry the ring, but I'll carry you. It's this right. almost superhuman or super hobbit effort yeah. um, to care for Frodo. And we think, mm -hmm. well, that's what bearing looks like. But sometimes that, that might be a bit much for some scenarios, mm -hmm. or that might be too much for individuals. Um, Joy and I often um, encounter scenarios that we, we think about... Um, the short story that lots of people end up reading in high school, um, O. Henry's Gift of the Magi, which is th this story where this husband and wife, um, he, he sort of, um, they give each other gifts, but in order to buy the gifts, they sell the thing that the other is gifting towards. I, mm -hmm. It has something to do with a, a comb and hair. I think mm -hmm. she buys him something for his pocket watch, um, but he sells his pocket, like she cuts off her hair and sells mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. to get him a pocket watch, but he 
sells his pocket watch to get a comb for her beautiful hair or something mm-hmm. like that. And they basically like buy these gifts for each other but miss because they self-sacrifice. And it's mm-hmm. honestly, I'm probably doing injustice both to the story and what O. Henry was trying to communicate. But <laughs> what I come away with is the like the the tragedy of of miscommunication and gift giving where you're sort of I'm going to make this huge effort for you, but I haven't mm-hmm. even talked to you to find out what you mm-hmm. need. And so mm-hmm. there is this um, this sense that we, we want to jump in because we care so much, um, but sometimes we end up making more of a mess of mm-hmm. it because we, we, we want to be superheroes, and that's sometimes where the ego can come in. We're mm-hmm. like, I mean, especially for those of us who are prof- professional ministers, mm-hmm. we want to have the story that we can tell at a, conference someday of that Mm. time I went all over and above to do this sort of thing Um, rather than sometimes bearing each other's burdens happens in in routine in small moments in collected small moments that all of us can kind of do a little Mm -hmm. bit Um, and that I lose the capacity for being the amazing carer in that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. but maybe the person is better cared for yeah yeah yeah, listening is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I get to preach infrequently, and so mm-hmm. I, I probably have more memory of what I've preached than people do sure. <laughs> who listen yeah, to yeah. it because they're like, I listen to a sermon every week. And um, but one of the you know ideas I I brought forward last summer, mm-hmm. um, especially in light of. Um, you know, as we we're thinking through issues of social justice mm-hmm. and all of that, was was to listen. Yeah. To listen effectively, um, to learn mm-hmm. from others, to not just assume I have all of the answers, but I could actually learn something mm-hmm. valuable as I get outside of my own experiences to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was another thing I. I largely got from Bonhoeffer. Mm. And I think that's worth turning to because I think in in listening, we get a sense of what it means to bear one another's burdens. And so he writes in this, uh, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. That's really mm. powerful. You get a picture of a of a bunch of people who are just really quiet because mm-hmm. they're all trying to listen yeah. to each other. Uh, well, you've got to have somebody speaking, I suppose, yeah. in order to make that work. But, you know, it really is. It's others-oriented. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to listen to you. And I like that analogy. We're going to listen to God's word. Mm-hmm. And we're going to listen to others mm-hmm. as a means of ministering to them. Yeah. Yeah, that even listening as bearing, mm-hmm. like listening is a way to bear burdens because burdens kept inside and unspoken mm-hmm. do a lot of damage. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's why talk therapy is, mm-hmm. is such a thing because yeah. being able to express it and talk about it yeah. does so much good. Mm-hmm. Um, or spiritual direction where spiritual director is just ask you questions and just kind of mm-hmm. don't really direct you anywhere. They just, yeah. they just kind of let you process it out loud and, and ask poignant questions. Mm-hmm. And, and what a blessing those, both of those ministries are. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because our inclination mm-hmm. in ministering to one another is that, ooh, I should say something yes. to somebody. And that's what's going to help them. Yeah. 
And this actually reverses that flow. I'm going to help this person not by giving them all of my acquired mm -hmm. wisdom, my pithy answers, yeah. my well-formulated reasons for things, but actually just to sit and listen. And it, it gives the other person a way to articulate, you know, here's the pain I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Here's uh, the suffering I'm experiencing. Yeah. Um, and when you do that, it, it's like it, it bleeds it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps somebody unburden themselves. And this is a practice my wife and I had to really carefully consider, mm -hmm. um, you know, because we'll, we'll both have those days when we come home from work and, oh, do we have stories yeah. to tell? <laughs> and it's like this competition to just tell our worst story. Right. <laughs> and you, you really do have to learn how to say, why don't you go first? Yeah. You know, you, I, I get the sense you had the worst day. Mm -hmm. You unburden. <laughs> tell me your stories. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you mine when you're yeah. ready. <laughs> and how to do that without just sitting there being like, all right, I just, yes, keep saying it because yeah. I've got my bad things. Yeah. So finish up with yeah. your stuff because I Hurry really want to get you with my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what, a, what an important gift because how many times have we been in a situation where, where you've shared something and people mm -hmm. have wanted to move on or share mm -hmm. their thing or yeah. you think that's bad. Wait, do mm -hmm. you hear what you hear from me? And you feel... As the person trying to unburden, you feel overlooked. You mm -hmm. feel not cared for because um, other people might want to jump to their own thing or jump to a solution. Mm -hmm. um, they're in difficult, you know, pastoral ministry scenarios where you're having those difficult conversations. I remember the the feeling of terror of like mm -hmm. I don't I don't have a quick answer for this. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. But then if it, it's comforting to realize my hesitancy to speak in those places will likely have been a ministry to to mm -hmm. the person unburdening themselves to get to share it and not have and not have an answer right mm -hmm. away because sometimes it's good just to be known yeah um that's it i mean that, that's a biblical picture right mm -hmm. that god knows us that mm -hmm. god knows these things about us mm -hmm. um, and we are fully known by god um and then part of the unburdening is to just allow others mm -hmm. to be known yeah Working with students as you do, mm -hmm. and, and I work with students on a regular basis, um, sometimes the, the listening isn't even about um, like bearing burdens now. even, um, because you might get a student talking about um, something they're totally nerding out about, mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I'm really excited about Legos, or I'm yeah. really excited about Zelda, mm -hmm. or football, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And they're going to share that thing with you. And it might feel to you as though it's trivial, but it's super important to them. And effective listening mm -hmm. is like, that's really great. Yeah. Tell me more. Why, why do you like that team so much? Yeah. And it, it has that way of ministering to somebody because mm -hmm. I've given you respect and care to mm -hmm. actually listen to, to what, what it is you're offering here in this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that tell me more phrase mm -hmm. is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I am... <laughs> I'm often forgetting to, to use it in situations, but when I do recall it in the moment, mm. it is amazing how much on anything, whether it's ex excitement, grief, burden, the mm -hmm. sort of, I heard you say this. I, I heard it enough to be able to, to notice it. Mm. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, what an open invitation. And mm. then it becomes a very affirming moment. Yeah. Um, 
I really struggled with small talk mm -hmm. because I, I always just wanted to go deep, like yeah. tell me your deep yeah. stuff. <laughs> and yeah. and I was like, stop all this superficial weather and yep. you know what your commute was like, kind of discussion. And then I realized, oh, that's the gateway mm -hmm. to that stuff. If I can take that small talk seriously mm -hmm. and and match strides and, and listen yeah. effectively, we can actually build a relationship off of that that will go deep. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, as a young believer, mm -hmm. especially in college, mm -hmm. man, I, I know I turned away people. Yeah. They were like, man, you're too deep for me. I, I can't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> this is too much too quick. Yeah. Yeah, you do. There's sort of a common idea in youth ministry, you sort of earn the right to mm -hmm. be in that situation. Um, and sometimes the deep stuff doesn't even come, but bearing all of those small burdens and being present for all of that life has done such a ministry anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we sometimes think, even if we've had a conversation and just listened to someone's small talk, we think, mm -hmm. well, that was just small talk. I didn't, I wasn't bearing that person's burdens. Mm -hmm. I wasn't ministering to them. But in reality, mm -hmm to be known in that moment, to be able to participate in, in common life together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's the, it's the meat and potatoes of, mm -hmm. of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and what a value that is, what a gift that is. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we, I'm sure, are starting to turn towards the conclusion of our time here, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll read from the last chapter of the book uh, on confession and communion. And this section here is called Breaking Through to Community. And uh, he writes, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of, of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of the person. And, and this is embedded in a section where he's talking about that confession mm -hmm. and um and that act of confession mm -hmm. brings to light uh the the gospel so that gospel breaks in it's almost like you you let that sin go and mm -hmm. it's the open window through which the gospel can come in and um and i think there's that recognition that well what it, what is it we're doing when we come on a Sunday. You know, there's that quiet confession through the service. There's the um, going forward to the altar. There's mm -hmm. the self-examination and maybe even like verbalizing confession to mm -hmm. others. Um, if nothing else, that repentance, that recognition that, yeah. that we are fallen and sinful and unburdening ourselves of that. And I just think about how poignant that is mm -hmm. in this time frame. Like, I, I know I myself probably felt different temptations. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if others struggle with that, the dark voice in your head that's telling yeah. you you're doing it all wrong yeah. or, or whatnot. But, you know, I did feel during COVID, like that voice got stronger, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and so there are all these temptations that get amplified yeah. in that isolated setting. And it just points all the more to the fact that we need each other. We need mm -hmm. this central place where we can come and commune with one another 
where we lay our sins at the altar and we receive forgiveness. Yeah. And then the empowerment we imbibe mm-hmm. through communion. Um, it's a powerful way to think about this trajectory we're on. Yeah. The hope that we have, that we'll be together, where we can enter yeah. this space together. It, you know, sometimes we, we think about sin as an external thing that mm-hmm. will infect us. And this is sort of a, a purity mindset. And I'm not just talking about like... Mm-hmm true love waits purity mm-hmm. culture but just this idea that sin is an outside thing that we have to protect ourselves from mm-hmm. and and if you think in those terms isolating is better you don't want to get around the wrong people you want to keep bad influences out you've got to sort of build up your walls mm-hmm. but if sin is actually if the call's coming from inside mm-hmm. the house if the problem is inside it's so important to be with other people mm-hmm. because without that that voice gets amplified mm-hmm. if you build up your tall walls the voice of the accuser echoes around more mm-hmm. frequently. And so needing other people to bear that with you mm-hmm. allows you to sort of have the light shone in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, yeah, what a value that confession is. And it's always, um, you know, we've, our church has dabbled, a few people um, have on occasion asked for, for confession, but we've never done it as a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always intrigued by it for myself and for others because mm-hmm. there's something about sitting somewhere, speaking the, the sins that you know are forgiven, but mm-hmm. sometimes you need to hear someone mm-hmm. say, yep, that too. That mm-hmm. is, I, I can declare because mm-hmm. the church has given me authority to declare you're penitent, that is forgiven. Mm-hmm. And what a gift that is to sort of shine a spotlight mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Um, on sin and on the accuser that says, mm-hmm. no, you're not good enough. Yeah. You're... The, the constant imposter syndrome that, that factors in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's definitely something you can do on your own. Yeah. Like to speak it out, to actually verbalize the words. This is what I've done. Heavenly mm. Father, I'm sorry. Yeah. Will you forget? Like to just articulate it, to put as much truth into it as you mm-hmm. can, um, can be so powerful. Um, and I think that's centrally what confession is. Yeah. Um, and I think when there's somebody else to hear that mm-hmm. and say, you know, that wasn't so terrible that the universe imploded <laughs> yeah. and, and you're an awful, terrible right. person. Like, we're still in fellowship. Yeah. And I, I can give you a hug. And here's a, a process mm-hmm. for helping yourself to get to a place where you feel clean and forgiven mm-hmm. and restored yeah you know there's there's something really healthy about that yeah and it, yeah it's a thing that can happen only in community though mm-hmm. it's only the thing that happens with other people right. yeah. um you know we have these examples of sort of heroic christians who have, who live their lives mm-hmm. in in moments of utter isolation it's actually the tradition that we get the collect for spiritual communion mm-hmm. from it's mm-hmm. sort of that whole theological idea develops for like, what about people who were like in concentration camps, mm-hmm. you know, Christians who were there who could never receive communion or, mm-hmm. or these people who were imprisoned or isolated or, mm-hmm. you know, lost or whatever. It's, it's those examples, but it should be noted that those are rare. And mm-hmm. even the collect itself points back to, I can't now receive you mm-hmm. sacramentally, but obviously mm-hmm. the trajectory points back to normative mm-hmm. Christian life, which is together mm-hmm. and, and with each other mm-hmm. and in community. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, this has been, I mean, it's been very helpful for me already. What Are there any other nuggets of wisdom from Bonhoeffer that uh, you want to make sure we all get to hear? Or Maybe it's worth reading the last chapter of the book. Or the last, not chapter, the last paragraph. Sure. <laughs> we, let's close with that. Yeah. That'll be a good closer. Okay, great. So he writes, The day of the Lord's Supper is an occasion of joy for the Christian community. Reconciled in their hearts with God and the brethren, the congregation receives the gift of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And receiving that, it receives forgiveness, new life, and salvation. It is given new fellowship with God and men. The fellowship of the Lord's Supper is the superlative fulfillment of Christian fellowship. As the members of the congregation are united in body and blood at the table of the Lord, so will they be together in eternity. Here the community is, has reached its goal. Here, joy in Christ and his community is complete. The life of Christians together under the word has reached its perfection in the sacrament. Amen. Thanks, Patrick. Well, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening.